0: Amen. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church this morning. My name is George Olmsted. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff and I have the opportunity to bring God's Word to you this morning. I'm very excited about our subject. Our work is worship and everyone in this room has a work that has been set before them. Now listen, for some it's that eight to five in the marketplace or that shift work at the plant or the warehouse. For others it's in the church and for others it's in the home. Students, For you, it's in the classroom, and still for others, it's in the community in which you live. So every person in this room is called to work and to carry out their work as worship to the Lord. And one way we worship as we work is this, we are to carry out our faith within our work. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue our little mini-series within a series entitled Your Faith at Work. Uh, Last week, Grant set the theological framework concerning how God created work, how he ordained work, and he took us through a passage in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Let's just read that together. It's on the screen. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by the way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is where? In heaven, and there is no partiality with him Pastor Grant walked us last week through that historical and cultural setting of this passage. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it if you missed it to get the context correct. And he did this. He presented the characteristics of expectation within a godly defined work. And we learned that some of those characteristics include obedience and respect and sincerity and faithfulness and expectation. What we did is we looked at this from both perspectives, from the slave to master and from the master to slave, and we were able to see the correlation of this passage as employee-employer or employer-employee. But I also want us to understand this morning, this is not a sermon just for those who have the traditional vocational job. We are not talking about just our work at our job, but we are talking about our work as a calling. And we understand that that we have God-given work and it doesn't only take place within the vocational calling, but it also takes place in the calling within the home and within the church. Let's be clear, work is work. And whether there is a wage involved at all. It does not change what work is. We know this based on verse 8 of Ephesians 6. Whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord. And we know work is good. I want us to get that into our mind this morning. Work is good. We are called to be about work. Why? Because the Lord created it And he created it before the fall. Work was intended for us to be lived out. You know, Grant ended last week with a passage. And this passage will be our reference text. If you want to turn your Bibles to Colossians 3, 22 through 25, it will also be on the screens as we go through this morning. But our text this morning, you'll notice, is very similar to that what was uh, written in Ephesians 6. Let's read it again. Slaves, Colossians 3, 22 and 25. Slaves in all things... Obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who uh, merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that Without partiality, Our study in Ephesians, and we've been in the book of Ephesians for quite a while now, right? We've walked through uh, each verse of every chapter, and we're going to continue that throughout the next month. But our study has prepared us for understanding the importance of honoring the Lord in our work. Again, whether your work is in the home, in the church, in the marketplace, again, students in the classroom... Or the community. Here's the deal. It's to be honoring and completed unto whom? The Lord. So let's walk through Ephesians very quickly. Remind ourselves of what we've already studied. Let's see how Paul set the framework for this understanding of work. In Ephesians 1, 11-14, on the screens it reads, Also we have obtained an inheritance... "...having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would what be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with the view to the redemption of God's own possession, again, to the praise of whose glory? His glory. We exist to praise God and to live for His glory. Listen, the core purpose of our lives is to worship God. That includes everything we do. Not just our spiritual religious activity. As a matter of fact, as a believer... We are, we are who we are in Christ, and our spirituality, our faith, listen, is the whole of our being. It is who we have been made in and through Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says this. Again, Paul provides some foundational framework of how we were created to uh, carry out this worship as we work, carry out our faith in our work as a means of worship. It reads this on the screen, "...for by grace you have been saved through faith." And that not of yourself is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And when were they planned? Which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. Listen, in our salvation, we are created in Christ Jesus for these good works. These works, they're found where? They're found within our homes, they're found within our ministry. Do you remember last week as Pastor Grant presented the the sermon? He, he challenged and he, and he called us to understand that everyone is a minister. It may not be a vocation, but it is our calling. We all are ministers. So we understand that our vocations and our careers and within our community service, we are called to live out these good works. As we live out our salvation, good works uh, are not only expected but they were and are created for us to perform and carry out how as a living testimony as well as worship to our lord. We also begin to see in Ephesians 4:28 Paul speaks directly to this importance of work when he says he who steals must steal no longer but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Now remember, Paul is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he understood not only the necessity and the importance of work, but just as importantly how one's work, specifically the believer's work, is to be carried out. There are three aspects of that. We are to labor. We are to toil. And we are to share. I want you to hear it again. We are to labor, we are to toil, and we are to share. God has called us to a work. We're to toil with our hands. We're to share the rewards that we have been given with those who are in need. If you remember, we read in Acts chapter 2 how the churches come together and the early church did what? They, they studied the apostle's doctrine they broke bread, they prayed, they sold possessions so they could, they could uh, take care of one another's needs. We are to labor, toil, and share. And that brings us to our text this morning. We've walked through Ephesians. We see the, frown, the, the framework uh, uh, given. And now we have Colossians 3, 22 through 25 that we're going to just take some time to dissect this morning. Now, let me give you the setting. Paul, here he is. He's imprisoned in Rome. He's spending time with Epaphras, the, the one who planted the Colossian church. And, and as they meet, Epaphras shares his concerns with Paul that the church is falling into error. In response, here's what Paul does. He writes a letter to the Colossian church. And as part of this letter, Paul revisits this slave-master relationship and he, he brings it to light once again, the importance of how one is to carry out their work. And for you and me today, here's the deal. We're able to take this passage, we're able to take its principles, we're able to glean the God-given expectations of one's work in the home, the church, the marketplace, the classroom, and the community. That is everyone in this room. We all have an opportunity to carry out these God-given expectations when it comes to our faith at work. In Colossians three twenty-two and 25, we see that within our work there is an expected work ethic. We first see that there's an outward expectation of one's work ethic. Listen, as a believer, we need not to be scared of this term, work ethic. We should have a good work ethic. We should have a faithful work ethic. We should have a hard work ethic. Why? Because we're going to see that it's used as an obedience, as a worship to the Lord. Again, I'll remind you of what it says, Slave in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. We are to live out this obedience as a worship to the Lord. Man, we're reminded here, just as we were in Ephesians, that, that our obedience, it's not bore out of our flesh anymore. But instead, it's from the desire to praise and glorify the Lord. If you were to, if we were to jump back up in Colossians 3 very quickly, we would see that Paul is reminding the believers there that they are now a new creation in Christ. That they are no longer uh, servants of the flesh. They no longer give into the flesh, but no, we serve Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are being changed. We are becoming that new creation through our salvation in Christ. So Paul reminds us we are no longer living out that flesh, but instead we're no longer, uh, as well, we're no longer motivated by what used to motivate us. And now, as he talks about this work ethic, we are motivated by the Spirit and how He desires for us to represent Christ. And so we really want to understand our work ethic should represent Jesus Christ in all things. You know, many times in the workplace, in, in whatever environment that might be, maybe it's uh, in the home, and, or maybe it's a, at, the, at the vocational job, or maybe it's as you're volunteering, or whatever it might be, uh, we, we know that sometimes people obey for the, the wrong reason. What are some of the wrong reasons we might be motivated to obey? One of those wrong reasons that we see a lot is for the purpose of self-glorification. This person is a type of person that that thrives on personal attention and receiving those personal accolades in front of others. Uh, They they want all the glory of the work, whether they did it all or not. And guess what? If they're not given the credit, they're going to make sure that everybody knows what part they had in it. Specifically, the supervisor or the boss or even the parent, right? Paul is... Stating something totally different, totally counterculture here. As he says, wait a second, this glory in our work is to go to the Lord. The whole reason we carry out our work, why we labor, why we toil, is to present our best effort and completion so that God will be glorified. Yes, the project's carried out. Yes, the, uh, the, the situation is resolved. Yes, you have put hard work into it. And yes, you will probably receive some sort of, of thank you. Maybe not. But you didn't do it for that thank you. You did it why? So that God would be represented within your work ethic. But it's not only self-glorification, but there are many times that people obey for the reason of self-gain. What do you mean, pastor? Well, the work is only done for one reason. It's only done for the promotion or it's only done for the financial gain. Now, I want you to hear this morning. Uh, being promoted, gaining a new salary, working hard, being rewarded well for it, there is absolutely nothing wrong for that. But when that becomes our sole desire of our obedience, not to glorify the Lord, not to work well so that others also uh, receive some of the glory, it's, it becomes all about us and what we gain. That's when it becomes the issue, because it's all about us. And folks, God has not called us to live for us, has he? He's called us to live for him specifically in our work as we see today. When we think about this, remember earlier we talked about that labor, that toil, that share When we are working only for self-gain, here's what happens. Many times we miss the opportunity to worship the Lord and our sharing with those who are in need or sharing with those who, who might be a part of an organization or a church or whatever. You fill in the blank of where it's a charitable opportunity for us to pursue and to push forward the cause of Christ. But instead, what happens many times when we're about self-gain, it's what can I have in my garage? What can I have in my home? What destination can I go to next? And and listen, those are all things that are okay as long as they're not motivated by, hey, it's all about me. We want to understand this doesn't mean to give all your money away and give all your time away. This means to be aware that the Lord has provided the work. He has rewarded you for your work and a desire to live out obedience and worship through our work, he may provide the opportunity to share the gains from your work with someone in need. Man, when we read also in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22, when it reads this, not as external service or eye service, as well as merely to please men, here's the understanding we gain. That how we obey in the presence of the boss or the co-worker, Listen, it's the same way we should obey when the boss or the co-worker is not around. I mean, we all know those people, right? Hopefully, it's not us. Many of us have experienced a coworker who is the world's best employee when the boss is around. Or maybe the best child when mom and dad is around. But as soon as that boss leaves or that parent leaves or that teacher leaves or that authoritative figure leaves or the office only consists of just a few people, all of a sudden what takes place? Laziness, outright refuse to do any part of the job. That's now the new attitude. Listen, Paul is warning us to not fall into this way of working. It's lazy. It's wrong. It's sinful. He is placing high priority on carrying out our work in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. It's an act of worship. What type of worship are we bringing to the Lord through our work? Man, that is a great question this morning, is it not? Now listen, I, I want to be I want to I want to understand that Paul right here, he's being quite adamant that our work ethic should be the same in private as it is in front of others. And that goes for those in the marketplace, the home, the classroom, the church, And the community. We are not to put on a show. Instead, we are to work unto the Lord with a sincerity of heart to obey and worship the one who has saved us and who is continuously changing us. And Paul goes on in verse 22 to provide another outward expectation of obedience within our work ethic. And here's what he says. Our work ethic is carried out with a sincerity of heart while fearing the Lord. That sincerity of heart. Man, it's it's our work is to be rendered. Listen, not with hypocritical deference and and, and sham industriousness. No, no, but with a single, undivided heart, doing the best at all times for the employer or the supervisor or for the teacher or for the coach. We are to give our all in what we're doing. Why is that? Because we fear the Lord. We honor, respect the one we ultimately serve who is God. Listen, John Gill writes this uh, concerning fearing God. God who sees and knows all things. What servants do when their masters are absent from them and to whom they are accountable and a servant that fears God will make conscience of discharging his service faithfully. He will not misspend his master's time nor embezzle his goods or waste his substance, but from a principle of reverential affection for God and fear of him with a concern for his name and to view to his glory with all diligence, uprightness, faithfulness, and sincerity, do his duty, seek the master's good and interest, and cheerfully obey all his lawful commands." Boy, this is exactly that obedient attitude you and I as workers in the marketplace, in the home, in the church, in the community should live out daily within our vocation. These outward expectations of obedience, they are driven from a certain place. You know where they're driven from? The scripture tells us from the inward expectations that Paul shares with us in verse 23, 24, and 25. Let's read it together on the screen. It says this, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Man, so much here. As we look at the inward expectations, I want us to hear this this morning. That phrase, whatever you do say it to me together on three. One, two, three. whatever you do whatever it is every aspect of your work is important all work is important it's important because it's given by the Lord and whatever we do listen whether you are performing brain surgery or whether you are greeting people as they walk into the church building whether you're raising up your children in your home whether you're doing your homework and completing your assignments so, so that you are prepared for the exam or, or maybe you're volunteering down at CareNet or Mission Waco or you're participating in the STARS reading program. Listen, in whatever you do, whatever you do, understand your work is important because it's given so that God may be praised, that God may be glorified, that God may be pointed to. Listen, I love to go do STARS reading, man. It's so fun. I enjoy reading with those, uh, those, little, those children, fifth graders, man, and, and we're, we're reading and we're learning. But you know what? I love more than the reading part, getting to hear about their weekend, getting to hear if they went to church or not, getting to ask questions like, why, why are you a pastor? I mean, we get to talk about God. I have no clue what my relationship with this young, uh, these young students will be later on in life. But I pray, I pray that they understand that God is the most important thing in my life and in theirs, even as I read a book with them. Listen, folks, whatever we do, listen, there is nothing that's not important when it comes to working in the name of God. This inner attitude of finding your work important, it also comes with understanding that we are called to carry out our work heartedly unto the Lord. Man, we must understand that joyful work comes from the soul. Joyful work comes from the soul. What do you mean? Well, I'm just taking this one word heartedly, and we're breaking it down a little bit in the Greek, and that, that word is suho, and, and, and it's, it's a very powerful word. Uh, we're, we're, to, we're to work heartedly, meaning that we're to work from our soul. Have you ever put your soul into something? Yes or no? Yeah. It's different than when you just go about it eh, casually, huh? Listen, we are to work heartedly. This this implies the idea of that enthusiasm and that passion and, and and when the believer carries out their work from the soul it it brings joyful and godly satisfaction. Again, we ask why? Because we are working to please the Lord. We are working as an act of worship. We are deeply enthusiastic and passionate about making sure we glorify our savior. Pastor man, I'm going to tell you what. There's no way I'm going to find that in my job. It's miserable. I hate going I do it just so I can pay the bills. Hey, I get it. Not everybody loves their job. Not everybody loves to get the task assigned to them that nobody else will do. Guess what? That happens in church work too. Can't just pass it on to Joel every time. But you know what? When you get a task assigned to you, it's really the matter of your heart. Yeah, there's some tasks I do just to get them off my checklist. But you know what it takes to get them off my checklist? and urging to like, listen, I need to do this well and to do it right because I don't want to do it again. Am I right? So where does that come from? That doesn't come from the flesh. The flesh would tear it up and leave that task alone. No, it comes from the spirit of saying, listen, do it right. Do it well. Have a work ethic. There was a situation here on our staff that involved me in a task I was asked to do. And I will tell you, my heart at the very first of it, I was like, I don't want to do this task. I think it's meaningless. I don't see the point in it. But you know what, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to present the best outcome possible so that, hey, maybe it'll be used for something else. And you know what? At the end of the day, called in, we talked, we looked over it, and honestly, this is the compliment. This is not about me. I'm just saying, at the end of the day, here's the compliment that I got. Why did you go above and beyond? Like, this is really good. This is something we could use in our whole staffing. Listen. Listen. It's not because I wanted to do it, but if we're going to do it, put everything you have into it. And I tell you what, it's actually one of the things I actually enjoy doing more than I ever thought I would because it's brought accountability to my life. It's brought organization to my life. It's helped me be a better leader and a better pastor, a better volunteer. Listen, some of the things we don't want to do, when we bring at it from the soul work, guess what happens? It becomes something that actually turns into something very valuable. This phrase, from the soul, it's an inward principle. It's not an outward compulsion. The believer must put his soul into his work. Maybe you uh, remember there was this former college and pro football player, man. He he lived this idea out to the point where he got criticized deeply for it. He he had a soulful joy about living out his dream of playing college and pro football on a national stage. And, and he worked hard at it every single day. And in and, and every interview, here's what he would do. He would glorify God. And every conversation about his athleticism or his greatness, he would deflect it all back to the Lord. He was not about the self-glorification. He was not about the self-gain. He had an inward, soulful joy about his work. And he literally used his platform to glorify God in all of it. He lived out those inward expectations, which allowed him to confidently live out the outward expectation of obedience and worship unto the Lord in his work. That guy's name, Tim Tebow. And you know what? He no longer plays professional sports, but he has a broader worldwide platform to spread the message of the gospel. To this day, he continues to live it out in his work according to Colossians 3.23. So what do we learn about these inward expectations of our work ethic? It's not only all work is important, nor that joyful work comes from the soul, but also, listen, soul work is rewarded by the Lord. Soul work is rewarded by the Lord. You know, I love that we just have to go to Scripture to learn this. It's, it's nothing that George came up with. It's simply in verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Soul work is rewarded by the Lord. Have you ever put your soul into a work effort and you didn't get the promotion? You didn't get the financial gain? But at the end of the day, you were still like, I did that well. And God, you know it, and I know it. And I'm going to rest that I did it well for you. Or did you have the, I didn't get the promotion, I didn't get the gain, why even try? I'm not saying that's not a natural reaction, but listen, we don't live in the natural anymore. We're not flesh driven, we are spirit driven. And so here's the thing it's happened in our home, and we've had to pray. God, why, why not now? Why not that promotion? Why not, Why are we having to change careers? Why, what's going on? And, and God just simply says, listen, it's, it's not about this earthly gain. As a matter of fact, when Paul's writing to these slave masters right here, you know what he's, he's, he's really telling us? Is that those servants, those slaves in those days, they weren't going to be released. This was, their, this was their life until the end. They weren't going to wake up one day and had won the lottery. I mean, this was it. And so Paul's encouraging them and saying, listen, hey, I know your life's miserable. I know you're stuck in a rut. But here's the deal. It's about the eternal reward. The eternal inheritance. Listen, not one earthly possession we gain are we going to take with us when we die. We need to let that set in. The promise we see here in Colossians 3, 23 and 24 is that our work is important. Our work ethic should represent working heartily unto the Lord. Working from the very depths of our soul as an act of worship to the Lord. The rewards are eternal. We do not work for our salvation. Let me say that. we do not work for our salvation. Let's leave that very clear this morning. We do not work for our salvation. But within our salvation, we are called to work and to work with an eternal perspective. And in this, we understand within the eternal expectations of this work ethic, the Lord is not partial. Can you just take a deep breath and understand the Lord is not partial. The boss might be, the co-worker might be, you might be, I might be, but our God is not partial. Just as... Loving and kind and merciful and gracious our God is. He also is a God of expectation. What does verse 25 say? For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. You know, it's possible for an unfaithful servant to wrong and defraud the master in a great variety of ways without anything being detected. But you know what? We better remember what is said. He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done. God sees him. And he will carry out the punishment for his breach of honesty and trust. These ancient servants and slaves, there is no guarantee on earth of fair treatment from any one they worked for. I think we understand that's the same today, right? We're not always going to get the attaboy. We're not always going to get the fair treatment. We're not always going to get what we think we deserve. But here's the great thing. Paul is saying, instead, believer... Don't look at the way you're treated here on earth, but instead look to the day that your obedience and faithfulness to the one true master, Jesus Christ, will be rewarded. He also wanted servants to understand that while here on earth, it's the utmost importance to labor well, to toil hard, to serve with an attitude that reflected Jesus Christ and the fact that we might share with those who may be in need. So when we look at Colossians 3, and 25, we learn that within our work, The nurturing of the inward expectations will lead to the living out of the outward expectations. I want to remind you, all work is important. Joyful work comes from the soul. Soul work is rewarded by the Lord, and the Lord is not partial in those rewards. So when when truly lived from the inside out, this allows us as believers to live out those outward expectations within our work ethic as we carry out obedience as worship to the Lord, our work truly becomes worship because it's founded in our praise and desire to glorify our Lord. And and in this, we're able to obey with a sincerity of heart while fearing the Lord. Listen, we are to be good stewards of the workplace, honoring those whom we work for and those who we work alongside of. Let that outward reflection of whom God has made us come from the inside the nurturing of the inward expectations will lead to the living out of the outward expectations. As we close this morning, I think it would be very uh, remiss if we did not just walk through some practical ways of how to live our faith out at work. And listen, this takes place again where? In the, in the, in the marketplace, in the church, in the home, in the classroom students, in the schools. I mean, I'm sorry, in the community. So here, let's just walk through this. I'm not going to read all the verses. I gave you the verses, so you could go home, take the sermon notes. You could walk along of how, when you pray about how you're going to live your faith out this week in work, you can take some of those verses, you can study them, and you can begin to put this to work. Here's some practical ways to live out your faith in your work. You ready? Put God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put God first in all things. Start your day with gratefulness. Start your day with gratefulness. Listen, God provided the work. Be grateful. Be grateful. There are, there are some that, that don't have the vocational work. But listen, all of us, all of us have the work of the Lord. Do this, pray without ceasing. George, I, I've never really understood that verse. Pray without ceasing. How about this? Lord, can you help me as I go about to have this conversation with my coworker? Lord, can you give me wisdom as I have this meeting which I'm very unsure about? Lord, can you give me the right, the right heart and attitude as I, as I face a combative situation within the workplace or in my home? We just go along praying without ceasing. How about this one? Treat others with Christ-like love and respect. Can I just say this? The church is already labeled hypocritical, right? We're all hypocrites, right? That's what the world says. We don't need to help them solidify that, right? That's just good practical advice right there. Treat others with Christ-like love and respect. Treat them how you desire to be treated, even in the moments that it's difficult. How about this? Work diligently. Believers, listen, I I, I talk to myself about this a lot. Like, be diligent in your work. Glorify the Lord in it. Don't just do it halfway. And how about this one? Be a problem solver. Boy, can I tell you, there's all kinds of problems in life, right? Right? And everybody's willing to tell you what the problem is, but they never bring the solution. I man, I had a wonderful meeting on Friday with a gentleman. And he, was not, he came with a great heart, no complaints, just, man, I just see this problem, this issue within this, this ministry, and man, I, I don't have a solution, but I don't want to leave here without us taking a step towards it. He list, I listened, I was like, man, I don't have the answer either. But the cool thing is, as we left that day, we had step one in trying to figure out, what the solution is to this issue within this ministry. You know what? We want to be a problem solver. Avoid being combative. You know what that means. Don't bring, that, don't bring the attitude to the discussion. Let it play out. Listen. Right next to that, listen. I'm not trying to talk to you like a three-year-old. I'm talking to myself like that. I need to listen. Sarah's amen and three times over there. Listen, let's look at the next few Value and practice honesty and integrity. That will drive you in the way you work. That will take you to places you never thought you would. I mean, how about, uh, this is an example I came across as I was studying. How about the gentleman who is getting a, a promotion and to another company? He's going to get two times the salary, and he gets all the way through the, gets all the, way through the interview process, ready to accept a the job, Then he finds out that most of the funding comes from an evil organization that's desiring to kill babies. And he says, God, I thought thought we had it. And he has to say, I can't take that promotion. Honesty and integrity. Trusting the Lord. How about this? Encourage others in their work. Can I I speak to just bosses and supervisors for just a second? I am one, and I have been in different areas. (sighs) When, when somebody brings us their work that they really put a lot into, or maybe they haven't put anything into it, however it's presented to you, can I encourage you to take that material, find the objectives that were met, the ones that were done well. And there might only be one, but find it. Say, hey, this is what we're looking for. This was really, really good. Now let's walk through this and make some course corrections so that you and I can be on the same team and our organization can be on the same team. Our household can be on the same team. Hey, bud, it was great that you put your clothes in the hamper. Can you now make your bed? Right? Encourage others in their work. Don't be the boss or the supervisor that's always telling your workers how bad of a job they've done. They're going to go somewhere else and they might be the best worker you ever had. Employees? Hey, Encourage one another when the bad day is there. Pray with one another. How about this? Be faithful in the small things. I need to finish up. Be faithful in the small things. Share your faith when the opportunity presents itself, specifically, specifically when asked. I get it. I know there's rules. There's laws. There's, there's uh, 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 employee handbooks and all these things you've got to sign. But you know what most of those handbooks say? Most of them, not all. Don't talk about religion. Don't talk about your faith unless presented with it's presented. Talk about it. How about this? Keep an internal perspective and then work for God, not people. It'll be amazing how your work life will be changed. I want to just give you this last story and then we'll we'll go. But listen, there was a young Christian who worked for the Chicago Tribune and he was on his way out of the office one day and it was Easter um, season and he was prompted by the Spirit to invite his boss, or his co-worker actually, to his church's Easter service. And this young Christian knew that his co-worker was an atheist. And he's like, man, I need to obey. I'm going to go follow the Lord's direction. I'm going to live out my faith at work. And he goes inside and invites his co-worker to church on Easter Sunday. And the coworker says, you know I'm an atheist. Why are you here? And he says, well, because it's Easter and like Christ rose again. And he's like, I don't believe Christ rose again. I don't even believe in your God. And he continues and tries to compel this man to come. And the guy finally looks at him and says, listen, I'm not coming. Quit asking. And so this young man leaves the office, accepts that the offer had been declined, and he goes home for the day. And he's dumbfounded as to why he felt compelled to invite this coworker. Well, years go by and this young Christian is now a pastor at a church and after a service, a man comes up to him and introduces himself and tells the pastor, thank you for the spiritual influence you have had on my life. And the pastor is shocked. He's like, man, I don't even know you, but thank you so much. Maybe tell me your story. And here's what the story was. This man had just lost his job. And as he lost his job, he's worried that he wasn't going to be able to pay the bills. And so he asked a friend... If you had any work around his business office. And his friend has said, yeah, I mean, we've got some tiling needs that need to be done in a few of our offices and, uh, in, in the foyer and in the bathroom. And, and so this man takes those tiling jobs and he tells this pastor, he says, listen, you didn't see me because I was behind a desk. And I was on my hands and knees, and I was doing some tile work. And you start apologizing for Christ. You start talking about how He rose from the dead. You start telling your coworker how important it is to be at this Easter service. And he says, "I'm on my hands and knees, I'm, uh, and I'm in tears." I'm like, "I need God. I need to go to that church." And so I called my wife, and I told her we're going to church on Easter Sunday. And she says, "What?" And he says, "Yes, we are going." And him and his wife and his teenage son go they hear the gospel, they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That story is from a famous author and Christian apologist, Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, because he was willing to follow Christ's command to live out his faith and work, never even knew about this man who was on his hands and knees, who was in need of the gospel. And I just encourage you this morning, not every one of us are going to have that story. I tell you, two people after the 9 o'clock service came up and told me an exact same story. Not all of us are going to have that. But here's the deal. Your work matters. And how you live for Christ in your workplace matters. You have no clue who's listening, who's watching, who's walking by. Can I imp- compel you? Live out your faith at work. And if there's anything we can do as a church to help you do that in a greater way, let us know. But start with the few things we share today. Let's pray. God, we love you. You are holy and you are mighty. You are marvelous. How marvelous, how wonderful that you took our place. Maybe this morning you're here and the first time you've heard that Jesus loves you and that he died for you and he rose from the grave for you and he desired to forgive you of your sin and, and, and you're like, man, I, 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 want, I want Jesus. Can I encourage you to simply place your faith and trust in him, believing in whom he says he is, repenting of your sin and making him the Lord of your life? You can do that with a simple conversation with him. Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Please, please forgive me. I repent and turn from those ways, and you are now my Lord. For the believer this morning, God, we ask that we will be your hands, your feet, your light in the marketplace, in the home, in the church, in the classroom, in the community. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand in?